and know that he is God. We're going to look at Matthew 22 this morning as we continue our series in the book of Matthew. Um, last week we looked at Jesus' teaching, um, his, his parable on the owner of the vineyard who, who hires guys throughout the day, and, and it, it, it was a, you know, a, a demonstration of the grace of God, the surprising generosity of God, and how we need to respond to that. After that, he, he again, in chapter uh, 20, tells his disciples that he's on his way to Jerusalem. He's going to have to go to Jerusalem, and there he's going to be rejected, and he's going to be mocked, and he's going to suffer, and he's going to be killed. And then he's going to rise from the dead. He continues this message to them. Um, And then in chapter 21, he actually enters into Jerusalem. So that's where we are here in the book of Matthew in the story is Jesus has entered into Jerusalem, and and we are bracing ourselves now uh, for the end of this week where he will be rejected and and arrested and where he will die. Um, But after he enters into Jerusalem to the cheers of many people, all these crowds, he then continues to kind of do stuff that upsets the religious rulers. He goes immediately into the temple and he overturns the tables because he's, you know, upset with the fact that the the temple was not being used as God wanted it to be used, to be bearing fruit for the nations. And then he, uh, he, there's this episode where he curses a fig tree. It's kind of a strange episode where he sees a fig tree, it's not bearing any fruit, and he curses it. And in, the, in, in the, the history of Israel, the fig tree often represented Israel. And so the message was, the people of Israel are not bearing fruit. They're not bearing fruit as they should. And then his authority is questioned by the, by the religious rulers, uh, the religious leaders in 21. And then Jesus tells three parables in response to that, in the response to the criticism from the religious leaders, and also this idea that even though God has called this people, the Israelites, to himself, they are not living as they should. They're not loving him as they should. They're not bearing fruit as they should. And, and that's what the, the first couple parables are demonstrations of the fact that, you know, you can, you can say that you're an Israelite, but you're not, if you're not bearing fruit, you not really are one. Um, and, and he kind of harps on the fact that, the, that the, these guys will reject him, and yet they're not really living as God called. They're not bearing the fruit that, they, that he calls them to. And then we come to this third parable we're going to look at today, the parable of the wedding feast. So listen to God's word as I read from Matthew 22, verses 1 to 14. It's in your order of worship if you don't have a Bible, but you can follow along. I'm, I'm using the ESV. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants, saying, tell those who are invited, see, I've prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants who went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. 
But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would work now in a way that is beyond us. We need your spirit to impress your truth upon our hearts. We need you to help us to understand this parable. We need you to help us to see how you want us to embrace what you say here. And we need you to change us. So, Father, we pray that we would, that you would help us now to be still and that you would work. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've all, I think we've all been there where we've been invited to go somewhere to do something and we don't really want to go. And so we, we furiously start thinking through our mind, go, going through all of the different excuses we could possibly give this person to say why we can't come, you know? Um, if you have a tender conscience like me, I'm, I'm thinking about, what can I say that is true? That's an excuse that, of why I can't be there, you know? Um, I think we've probably all been there. I don't know, some of you guys are looking at me kind of judgmentally, so maybe you haven't. But there's a really funny scene in the, the TV show The Office. I don't know how many of you guys watch that show, The Office, but there's a funny scene where Michael Scott, who's the boss in The Office, he, he's going to lunch, and he's like, all right, I need my entourage. Come on, Dwight, Jim, Ryan, come on, let's go. Let's go to lunch. And immediately, um, two, out of three, two out of the three definitely don't want to go. Dwight wants to go, but, but Ryan and Jim don't want to. And Ryan immediately, he says to him, I'm not feeling well, I got a lot of work to do, MSG allergy, peanut allergy, I ate there last night. And uh, Michael steps over to him, he like feels his forehead, he's like, oh, feel better, man. All right, Jim, let's go. And Jim looks at Ryan like, you know, frustrated, like you took all the excuses. <laughs> and uh, Ryan immediately like looks back at him, he's like, doctor appointment, car trouble, uh, planter warts, my grandfather fought in World War II, come on, Jim, use your head. He's like, I got all my excuses right here on my phone, you know. Um, this parable is about a bunch of people who have refused an invitation. They've refused an invitation from a king to attend a feast for his son. They, they actually don't give any excuses, do they? They just don't show up. And in the end, Jesus sums everything up by saying this, many are called, but few are chosen. That's uh, maybe troubling words to hear, to think about. What does that mean? Um, what I want to do is, is look at, I, I think what, what Jesus is doing with his parable on the whole is, is he's warning all of us. Of course, the king represents God. The son that he's celebrating represents Jesus. He's, he's, in, he's warning all of us to be careful as he invites us to the feast, as he invites us to, to, to experience life with him, to know him, to celebrate who Jesus is. As he invites us to do that, he's warning us to be careful, not to reject his invitation. And what I want to do this morning is look at four excuses we might use or have used possibly in the past, or we might use that, that keep us from accepting the invitation 
to the feast that God offers us, okay? And, and I think each of those um, excuses are answered in this parable. So the first excuse that I want to point out that some people might make is, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. I, I, I don't belong there, you know? I haven't really been invited. I'm not worthy. Um, back at when I was in college, I, my, my friends that I lived with, they were massive partiers. They loved to go to parties. That's what they lived for. Um, they would go to parties like five nights a week if they could. And one of the things that, that I noticed ha- happened is um, a lot of these parties, you had to be on a list to get in. And so they would hear that there was a party going on on Friday night, and they knew that there was a list. You had to be on this list in order to get into the party. And so their entire day on Friday was spent not like doing work in the library, not going to classes. Their entire day was figuring out how can we get ourselves on the list? You know, who do we know that we can call to talk us into getting us on the list? Who do we know? What, like, they, they would call people. They would go places on campus and like hang out in a certain spot of campus where they knew somebody would maybe walk by who might be going to the party and they could get them on the list. Like they were just consumed with getting on the list because they knew if they weren't on the list, they wouldn't get in. And I, I think one of the things that this parable dispels is the idea that you have to be on some sort of list in order to be invited to know God and to, and to come and to celebrate at his feast. And why do I say that? Well, well, I mean, there is the line in here where he says that there are these guys who didn't come weren't worthy, right? Um, but what makes them not worthy? The only thing that makes them not worthy is the fact that they don't come. They don't show up. Right? He invites these guys, they don't come. He invites them again, they don't come. They even violently respond and kill the messengers, the servants. And so then what, is, what does the king do? He then, he then tells the servants to go out into the rows, invite everybody you can, right? And then eventually they invite everybody, they gather all whom they find in verse 10, and it says both bad and good. That pretty much sums up everybody, doesn't it? Everybody, both bad and good. No matter who you are, you might have different ideas of who's bad and who's good. But no matter who you are, if somebody says everybody who's bad and good is invited, that's everybody. That's everybody. There is no one who is not invited. There is no one who is not worthy of an invitation. You just have to basically have a pulse. Everybody is invited to partake in what God wants us to partake in, to know him, to feast with him. You know, and, and so, I mean, it, it's possible that, that there may be people here this morning who are like, yeah, I mean, well, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if I really feel like I belong here. Those people are different than I am, you know. No matter how different you are than others, you are invited to know God and, and, and experience what he wants to give you. Um, I think that the, this parable... It, it's also, we need to remember, this parable is directed at religious leaders. And these religious leaders were guys who, they, they thought that they were on the list. They thought that they were charter members of the party. That they were like the, the core members of the party planning committee, right? And yet, they looked down on everybody else and said, oh, those people couldn't possibly be invited. Those people aren't on the list, you know? And so I think another thing that we need to recognize as we think about this fact that, that everyone, both bad and good, is invited, is we need to be careful about how we, who are Christians, who are part of the party, 
communicate to others and maybe even inadvertently say, no, it's not for you, you know, because you're too different, because you're, you, you, you know, you, you, we disagree on things politically, for example, um, or you look differently from me. Um, we need to be careful about how we are communicating to people around us of who is actually invited to the party that God wants to throw. Um, because it's everybody, both bad and good. That's what we need to be communicating to others as we invite them. As we think about, you know, we got the chili cook-off cook -off coming up this Saturday. I hope that you are praying about people that you can invite to come to that. As you think about maybe um, in your life, people that you know that you might want to invite to come to church. There is no one who is, is disqualified from a possible invitation. Nobody who is too different that couldn't possibly enjoy what God wants them to hear. You know what I'm saying? Um, so we need to, to first recognize, you know, that I'm not worthy is not an excuse. Um, everyone is on the list. And another excuse people might make is this, I'm not wanted. Not just that I'm not worthy, but I'm not wanted. We might acknowledge that we're invited, but it's an entirely, entirely different thing to be invited to a party than to be wanted there, isn't there? Um, we might, you know, acknowledge that God, you know, calls all people to come and experience his love and his grace. But for a lot of us, because of the, the failures that we have made in our lives, because of the mistakes that we've made in, in our lives, because of just not feeling like we are as good as we should be, as we compare ourselves to other people, we might feel at times like we're not, we're not really wanted by God to be there. He's not really excited that we're here at the party, at the feast. And the only thing I want to highlight here is, is the, the persistence of the king in the way that he invites people, right? He, he sends out an invitation. Those guys don't come. So what does he do? He doesn't just give up. He sends out another invitation. And his, his messengers, his servants, are actually murdered and killed. And, and he responds to those people. But that doesn't even discourage him from continuing to invite more people, right? He wants people he wants to fill his hall with guests. He wants us there. He wants you there. No matter what your life has looked like in the past, no matter how much you feel like, you know, you look at other Christians who look so like they have their lives together. He wants you there. And, and you see that in the persistence of the invitation that goes out throughout the parable. But then there's uh, the somewhat dark aspect of this parable, and it has to do with those whose excuse for not coming to the feast is that they thought to themselves, he's not worthy of my attention or time. You know, Like we might say, I'm, I don't know if I'm worthy, I don't know if I'm wanted, but then the, the, the majority of the, the, the people that the invitation goes out to first, their core problem is they don't think that the king is worthy of their attention, and so they totally ignore him. He sends out an invitation. For them to just not even acknowledge it says volumes, doesn't it? Yeah, we, we don't think you're important enough. You know, we, we don't think you're, you're even powerful enough to do anything if I totally ignore you. I mean, in those days, for a king to send out an invitation for people to come, it, was, it wasn't just an invitation. It was a command that they show up. So to not come was a, it was a huge offense to the king, saying they don't care. They don't think he's really all that high and mighty and powerful and great and majestic and sovereign. 
And so they're basically saying he's not worthy. The, the first group that doesn't come and then who don't come again and then who murder the servants. Oh, what's he going to do to us? <laughs> we can do whatever we want. And they just go about their lives. They go to their farm. They go to their business. They just cannot, you know, those things are more important than him and his feast. I think there are plenty of people today who have contempt for the idea of God. Um, there are people today, you know, who, people who are, who are atheists, who believe that there is no God, who, who enjoy debating others and trying to prove that God doesn't exist, who are convinced that, that God doesn't exist and that he doesn't matter, and that are just happy to go about their lives however they want. Um, it's absolute disrespect for the reality of who he is. But hitting more close to home, remember this, this passage is, is, is directed, this parable is directed at the religious guys. So I think we need to think very carefully ourselves, those of us who are sitting here in church, worshiping God, um, in what ways do I live my life as if he's not really that important? You know? I come to church on Sunday morning and I say, I'm going to praise you. Oh, worship the king. And then on Sunday, and then on Monday morning, I wake up and I go to work and I live however I want. I don't even think about him. I don't even think about, I don't even consider how he wants me to spend my time during that day. I don't even consider how he might want to meet with me and talk with me. I don't consider how he might want, to, want me to, to pray and to, to, to read my, my, my Bible to know him better. I don't even consider about that. that that's like such a, a low thing on, on my priority. Um, I don't think about him being worthy as one who should direct how I spend my money, how I spend my time, how I relate to the people that he's placed around me in my life, how I speak to them, how I listen to them. You know, I, I, I need to really consider. Yes, I say that I believe in God and that he is my king, Am I really living in the momentary times of my day with that reality? Acknowledging that, that he is worthy. He is worthy of everything. He is worthy of, of every moment of my day to be surrendering my will to him like hay into flame. This is where the warning comes in. The parable warns us that to disrespect the king uh, if we disrespect the king, we disrespect him at our own peril. After the guys do not go up and end up killing the servants, what does the king do? He demonstrates his power. He demonstrates his sovereignty, and he has them killed, and he burns their city. The final excuse is this. I, I don't, you know, at first it's maybe I'm not worthy, I'm not wanted, he's not worthy of my time. Maybe the last excuse is, well, I don't know if I really want to be there. How, how good is the feast really going to be? How, 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 how you know, enjoyable is that going to be to actually respond to the invitation of God and live my life, surrendering my life to him and walking with him and seeking to know him? Is, is, that, is that really worth it? Do I really want to be at that party? Because, you know, as I look around, maybe I, I look around and I see, you know, Christians whose lives don't seem all that great. 
Or I see Christians and I'm like, I, they, they seem really boring. You know, it's a lot of people's, I've, I've experienced in, in talking with people, a lot of people's uh, understanding of to be a Christian is to live a life that is just like completely, um, you know, burdened by all sorts of rules, you know. And, and it's just a life of suffering and, and just like, ah, we just got to like get this done. There's, there's like no joy to that at all. And sadly, I think one of the reasons that people have that view of the Christian life is because a lot of us Christians live that way. <laughs> a lot of us Christians live that way. Um, and we might think, you know, to respond to the invitation of God, to really respond to it, and to go to the feast, and to surrender to, to God as my king, that sounds like a life that might be boring or monotonous or tedious. But this is what I love about the fact that Jesus used parables to help communicate what he wanted us to understand about the kingdom, what he wanted us to understand about knowing God and relating to him. He used parables. He used stories of things that we could relate to. And so there are times, like last week, we looked at how he used the story of a, a, a guy who owned a vineyard and he hired people to go work for him, right? Um, he, used, he used other stories of, of farmers farming, you know, where you plant seed and things like that. He could have used a different setting here than a feast. You realize he could have used a king who invited people to a meeting, a boss who invited people to a meeting around a table where you had to make some big decisions. Or maybe he could have invited, a king invited people to, to like a war council or to invi- invited people to, to come in and try par- participate in a war maybe, you know. Um, but what does he invite people to? He invites people to a party. He invites people to a feast, a wedding feast for his son. He invites people to celebrate with him. And this is what I love about how Jesus would often use the image of a party to communicate what it, what it meant to know God, right? Not only here, but other places in the, in the parable of the two sons where one son runs away and then he comes back and the father does what? He slaughters the calf and, and throws a massive party for him where there's music and there's dancing and there's joy and there's laughter, right? And Jesus, where did he perform his first miracle? He performed his first miracle, miracle at a party, at a wedding feast, where he turned water into wine to make sure the party would continue. As we think about the whole flow of the Bible, as we look towards the, the end of the Bible in the book of Revelation, where do we end up in Revelation? The wedding feast of the Lamb. It's another party. That is where all history is headed. A party, a feast, a celebration, joy, music, dancing, laughter. This is what Jesus uses this image because this is at the core of what it means to to know God and, and to attend the party that he wants us to. It's to experience joy. It's to experience laughter. It's not, uh, this doesn't mean that life is going to be perfect and easy. Absolutely not. But even in the midst of our suffering and our pain, it means that we, we have a, a, a joy that is deep, that enables us, yes, even to laugh when it's hard. I love it. I love it. I love it. Ultimately, the, the feast here is a celebration of the sun. It's a celebration of the son and his wedding. This is what we're invited to. The son of the king is Jesus. There is nothing more satisfying than celebrating 
Jesus. There's nothing more satisfying than celebrating Jesus. He is perfect. He is perfect in love and power and wisdom. He is the embodiment of grace and truth. He is gentle and lowly, and he is also high and mighty, and he loves you. He loves you. There's nothing more satisfying than celebrating him. He loves you so much that he, he like I was saying, this passage comes in the midst of the week before he's going to the cross. He's on his way to the cross. He's closer now than he's been ever before here in the gospel. That is where he's going. He's going to the cross out of love for you, to die for you so that you could be forgiven and so that you could come into the party and know that you belong there and know that God delights in the fact that you are there. Know that God wants you there. He died for you so that you could laugh together with him for eternity. I don't think I want to be there. Believe me, we all want deep down to be at the feast. All you need to do to figure that out is just look at Jesus, to look at, at who he is and how he loves people, how he loves you. There's no greater place to be than eating with him and celebrating this brings me to this guy. We have to address it. This, this poor guy, you know, this poor guy who comes to the party, he's invited, he gets there, and then the king walks in, in verse 11, and he notices that he had no wedding garment. This guy who, who comes to the party, and then he gets thrown out. And then Jesus, and, and there's, you know, these, these really sobering verses. The king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot, cast him into the outer darkness, that place where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then he says this hard, this, this statement where it says, for many are called, but few are chosen. What does Jesus mean when he says that? Because like when I hear that, my mind starts to go, and I, and I see this guy who comes to the party, but he's not dressed right, and he gets thrown out into the outer darkness. I mean, this, he doesn't just get kicked out of the party. He gets sent to a place that is, that is awful, right? And it sounds like, okay, many are called, so I, I, does that mean I can be invited to the party of God, but, but I'm not, I might not be chosen? Like, it sounds to me like a lot of people use the word, the big word, predestination, you know? This, this verse maybe points to predestination. You might be called, but you're not chosen. And, and I couldn't emphasize more that I do not think that Jesus is trying to say here that you have to start wondering, oh no, am I chosen or not? Like, like Jesus isn't saying, okay, God invites everybody, but you know, whether, no, matter what you, no matter what you do, no matter how hard you try, no matter, no matter how much you believe, if you're not chosen, you're out. So you just have to sit there and hope. Just sit there and hope that I'm chosen. No, that's not what Jesus wants you to think. Jesus is trying to get the people who are listening to do something in response to what he's saying here. He's trying to get them to do something. And, and I want to remind you, who is he talking to? This helps us understand this part of the parable, I think. He's talking to the religious leaders, right? Who believe that they are chosen. 
they are certain that they are chosen because they are Israelites and they have the law of God and they've been, you know, really meticulously trying to follow the law of God and, they, and they've been judging other people who aren't living as holy a life, of, of a life as they are. And, and in the parables before this one, he's been saying to them, look, I don't care if you think you're part of the Israel and you think that you're really religious, if you're not living a life that demonstrates the reality of, of God and who he is, if you're not loving people, if you're not bearing fruit, then you're not really part of the kingdom of God. You're not really part of the family of God. If you're not living life, a life that resembles God, then you're not really dressed for the party. I think that's who he's talking to here. He's talking to people who maybe think that they are part of God's people just because they're in the room, but who haven't actually embraced what the party's really about. They haven't really embraced and are celebrating the Son, Jesus. That's what it means not to having have a wedding garment, I think. I think, like, it's, it, I've seen a bunch of movies. You can probably picture a scene in a movie where there's a really, a really popular girl, has a boyfriend who has a bunch of friends who are just a, a bunch of, like, crazy, wacky guys, and she goes to a, a party with them, and they're just all, like, making fools of themselves. And she just goes, and, and she just looks at them all, and she's just like, ew, you know? She doesn't embrace the party for herself, and she stands, she's there, but she's not really, you know, willing to make a fool of herself and enjoy it. And I think this is who Jesus is talking to, these, these religious rulers, these leaders, religious people in general, who think we are part of the party, party just because we're in the room. But we haven't really embraced the sun. We haven't really embraced the, the opportunity to celebrate the sun. Um, later in, in the Bible, back to Revelation, you know, there's the, it, it talks about a group of people who are wearing a garment, right? And, and what is that garment that they're wearing? They're wearing a garment that has been washed in the blood of the Lamb. So, so part of this is, you know, the, the garment that we all need to put on is, is, is the garment of the blood of the Lamb, the garment of, of Jesus and what he has done for us and dying for us, Right? That's what makes us part of the party, but not just that. It's also a life that embraces that to a point where we are actually living it out as well. We're actually bearing fruit in the way that we, we, we show up to love people like he loved us. To sacrifice for people like he sacrificed for us. That's what it means to put on the garment that makes us part of the party. It's to embrace all that Jesus is, all that he has done, and all that he calls us to be. Many are called, but few are chosen. I think that what he's really just saying is that, yes, we are all invited, but to be chosen is to be a person who actually embraces the Son and celebrates him. And if we will do that, we will be filled to overflowing absolutely satisfied nothing will be more satisfying than the love of God in Jesus so are you are you are you ready to accept his invitation today this week to laugh with him at this 
crazy thing that he has done to actually die for you. (laughs) That you might be forgiven, that you might be able to walk with him and know him better. Will you accept his invitation and embrace what he wants you to, to embrace at the feast, his son, Jesus? Let's pray. Father, we, we pray that you would um, work in us by your spirit, that you would help us. Um, it, it can be easy for us to, to just show up and to be here and to feel comfortable, uh, to be able to call myself a Christian, but to do that without actually embracing the one who is, in fact, the life of the party, Jesus himself. Father, we pray that you would help us to put on the garment that Jesus died to give us. We pray that you would work in us in such a way that 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 garment actually changes us and makes us a people who are humble and who are loving and who seek justice and mercy and who are eager to surrender our will to yours. We pray all this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. We now have an opportunity to to celebrate Jesus at the Lord's table. If you did not receive the elements on your way in and you need them, um, just raise your hand and Jimbo will get them to you. Does anybody need them? Back in the corner back there, Jimbo. Back to back. And up top. Be patient and keep your hand up and Jimbo will get them to you. And as Jimbo is doing that, if you want to turn in your order of worship to the confession of sin...